Well, good morning, Harmony. If you don't know me, my name is John DeLuke. I'm the executive pastor of ministries here at Harmony Bible Church. And will you all just take a deep breath with me? You know, I don't, I don't know about all of you, but this fall with the school season and all the fall activities has been a bit much for me. I have seven kids, so if they all do one activity, that's at least something every day of the week, and it's a little much sometimes, but I think I'm almost there. But this week, God blessed me because I was thankful that he reminded me of one of my favorite things of this upcoming season that we're coming up to, and that's the changing leaves. One of my favorite things about fall is the beautiful changing colors of the trees all around us. That's one of the things I love about being here in Iowa and getting to see that tapestry. I specifically enjoy the drive from here down to Fort Madison where we even get some hills and we get to see that picturesque, beautiful scene. It's like a Bob Ross painting of all the different reds and yellows and greens. Of course, the change of seasons comes with some challenges, not just busy schedules, but as the leaves begin to fall, right, we get to change out our lawn care routine, we get to trade in the lawn mower for a rake and some paper bags, or maybe for some of you, a leaf blower and fire, only certain days of the year, right? But... Changing seasons also bring colds and stuffy noses, groggy heads, watery eyes, and allergies, where for many of us that clean, fresh summer air becomes a little bit cloudy and and stuffy and unclear as our allergies rage. It seems like we all just need to take a little Claritin. We desire relief and clarity in our sinuses. We want to be Claritin clear, as the commercial used to say. Now, I promise I'm not a Claritin sales rep. If you're more of an Allegra or Zyrtec person, I'm fine with that, and I apologize, but you see, those don't help me transition as well into the clarity of Scripture. You see what I did there? Now, before I move on from this bad pun, I do think it's relevant for our topic today as we continue our series by the book and discuss some of these key attributes of God's word. You see, often when we approach God's word, we, we approach the Bible and we do so with a bit of an expectation even of confusion. An, intip- an, an anticipation, wow. An anticipation of a lack of clarity. You see what I did there again? Just kidding. We view it through watery eyes or, or groggy minds of what the Bible might say. And that's not entirely unfair. There's some truth to it because we do need the Holy Spirit to to open our eyes and open our ears to the truth of God's word. We need the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, really grasp what God's word is teaching us. But you see, if you are a believer in Christ this morning, if you are a Christian, you have that Holy Spirit. And as believers in Christ, we can approach the Bible with confidence and expectation of clarity. Not because we're super smart or we've unlocked some secret code, but because by God's grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can understand. We see, however, even for unbelievers, we can have confidence about the word of God because the clarity of God's word isn't dependent on the reader or the hearer. The clarity of God's word is dependent on God. In fact, the clarity of God's word is an attribute, a characteristic of God's word on its own. God's word is clear, period. Now this morning, we're gonna unpack that truth 
that God's word is clear. Now, if you're a Bible nerd like me, you'll want to know that this doctrine has historically been called the perspicuity of Scripture. The perspicuity of Scripture. Leave it to theologians and Bible nerds to use an extremely unclear word to mean clarity, right? Perspicuity. It's like this weird combination of perspiration and peculiarity, which combined, of course, means clarity. Clear enough, right? But for the sake of clarity, we're just going to stick with the word clarity. And if you remember from the last couple weeks, we're diving into four specific attributes of God's word. We can remember those four attributes by the acronym SCAN, sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about the sufficiency of God's word. He shared with us that the Bible gives us knowledge of salvation and that the Bible gives us everything we need for everything God wants us to be and do. And this morning, we're going to build off of the sufficiency of God's word and talk about the clarity of God's word. So let's begin with the definition. There's lots of definitions out there for the clarity of God's word, but I think Wayne Grudem provides one of the the simple and clear and helpful definitions. He defines it as this. The clarity of scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who read it, seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. The clarity of scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all, that's everyone, who will read it seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. The Bible is clear, meaning that it is able to be understood by those who desire to seek, to know, and to follow God. I like how author and pastor Kevin DeYoung in his book, Taking God at His Word, he kind of gives us a a practical explanation of what this looks like, what this means, what the clarity of scripture means. He writes, ordinary people using ordinary means can accurately understand enough of what must be known, believed, and observed for them to be faithful Christians. Now, these definitions are careful, they're thoughtful. If you've noticed, there's even a bit of nuance to them because the clarity of scripture, to be quite frank, is not the simplest doctrine. The reason these definitions are careful and thoughtful is because all of us who have read the Bible know this. The Bible doesn't always seem clear. There, I said it. I'm up here talking about the clarity of God's word, which I 100% believe And I hope you will affirm it as well today, but the reality is the Bible doesn't always seem clear. There's complicated and complex and difficult passages, even whole books that can be challenging. We have different denominations in Christianity that formed over nuances and different interpretations of God's word. So it's very easy to think that the Bible is not clear. So before we dive into our passage and we unpack this concept more, I want to consider quickly what the the clarity of Scripture does and does not mean. So first, the clarity of Scripture, the clarity of God's Word, does not mean that everything and everyone who reads any part of Scripture will clearly know exactly what it means. 
or that the whole understanding of the gospel, the whole understanding of salvation is every single part of the Bible. And it doesn't mean that every passage has a really simple and obvious meaning. That's what it doesn't mean. But what it does mean instead is that the clarity of God's word means that anyone seeking the truth of God can read and study this book, read and study God's word and understand the things that are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for them to be faithful Christians, for salvation and godly living. In fact, it means that the most important points of scripture can be understood sufficiently. Not always perfectly, but sufficiently. I like how theologian John Frame puts it. He says, scripture is always clear enough for us to carry out our present responsibilities before God. The clarity of scripture means that if we desire to seek, to know, and to follow God, the Bible is clear enough for us to understand how to do it. All right, that's enough definitions and doctrine from others. Let's look at what God's word has to say about itself. We're going to consider several passages this morning, but our primary text is going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 11 through 14. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in your Bible. It's right after Numbers, right before Joshua. If you are using one of the chair Bibles, it is on page 133. Hopefully I have stalled long enough for you to get there. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 11 through 14, read along with me. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. Let me share a bit more context for our text today. Deuteronomy means second law or repeated law. It's the last book of what is commonly referred to as the Torah, and Torah just means law or instruction or teaching. And it's the first five books of the Bible composed by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it really helps set up the entirety of Scripture. And Deuteronomy is unique because it's really just this retelling of the law to a brand new generation of God's people before they enter the promised land. If you remember the story, right? God's people are enslaved in Egypt and God uses Moses to save them from Egyptian slavery. They they head out of Egypt and they receive the law at Mount Sinai. And then after that, and I'm skipping a lot of stuff here, they go all the way to the promised land. They're almost there, but you see when they get there, they send some people out and they get scared of the people that are occupying the land. You see, there's these big, strong people with these huge fortified cities and they're afraid and they disobey God. They rebel against God. They don't trust that God would fulfill his promises 
to give them the promised land. So then that whole generation doesn't get to enter the promised land. And they're made to wander the desert for 40 years. And then after that 40 years, the next generation has grown up. The next generation of Israel then stands at the the edge of the promised land. And the Lord, through Moses, retells the law. And that's the book of Deuteronomy. It's it's a retelling of this covenant relationship between God and his people. And the, the first 30 chapters of the book are really just this long sermon, this long retelling of God's commands. And then at the very end of that, our passage comes to play. And our passage is part of the the conclusion or the application of that retelling. In fact, the verses directly after the passage I just read, verses 15 through 20, Moses essentially says, here's the law. Here it is, God's word. Here's all the commands of the Lord. Choose to follow them. If you follow them, you will live and multiply and be blessed in the promised land. But if you don't, and if you turn away, then you will perish. Our passage comes right before that final charge, that final challenge from Moses. He says, choose life and good or choose death and evil. And so what does our passage say? Well, quite simply, right before Moses presents them with this choice. After 29 chapters of God's commands, God's law, Moses just says, here it is. You have the word. In fact, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, and you can do it. You you have it, you can understand it, and you can do it. Moses is encouraging them that God's word is clear, and they can do it. That same reality applies to each and every one of us today as we consider God's word, as we consider the clarity of God's word. We too have God's word. We too can understand it and we too can do it. So this morning from our text, I want to consider three principles that we can find in our passage, but they're also much more broad than our passage. They're three principles that apply to scripture as a whole, three principles that relate to the clarity of God's word. So number one, God communicates effectively. God communicates effectively. We can see this as really an underlying assumption in our passage. Moses says that these commands, the word of the Lord that he just shared, it's it's not too hard for you, neither is it too far off. In fact, it is very near. They have God's word and the assumption is that they can understand it and they can respond to it so that you can do it, it says. In fact, throughout all of God's word, the assumption is we can understand it and respond to it. God communicates effectively with his people. You see, clarity is just another way to say effective communication. Communication is not effective, right, if it's not clear. I think we all get this, right, because each and every day, every single one of us tries to communicate something, right? Or or at least we, we try our best In fact, I'm trying to communicate with all of you right now. Perhaps I'm not doing too well because it isn't clear to you what I'm trying to say. But I am communicating, and the question is, am I communicating effectively? But you see, communication is also a two-way street. You and I are doing something right now. We're communicating with each other. And I'm hoping that some of my communication is clear for some of you, but 
It's likely not clear for all of you. So now who's at fault in this communication today? If I can be so bold, probably both of us. Now, I could certainly communicate clear. You can just ask my wife. You can ask my kids. You can ask the entire church staff, especially if it involves drawing on a board. They don't let me draw on Sundays. But also, some of you could probably listen a little bit better too. But the reality is, neither one of us is God, amen? And thus, neither of us is going to be perfect. But the, the Bible, the word of God, is from God, and he is perfect. And God has ordained, he has chosen from the beginning of time to clearly communicate who he is, what he has done to his people through his word. You see, the clarity of God's word is actually tied to God's character, to who God is, to his power, to his authority. God has decided to reveal himself through his word. And so then that begs us the question, is God successful? Does God communicate effectively through his word? Does God do what he intends to do? Well, to not get too complicated here on a simple and really practical level, the answer is yes. Now, I know you knew I was going to say yes, but just think about it with me. Think about the, the history of the church, the history of Israel, the history of God's people. The reality is, is that God has been communicating effectively generation after generation after generation because God's people exist. He has been redeeming a people for himself. Today we have the church. We have followers of God all over the world who are sharing his good news, sharing his word, and people are coming to saving faith. That in itself is a testament to God's effective communication. God didn't try to communicate with people and then nothing happened. God intended to communicate with people and it has changed the world and shaped the world for its entire existence. Now, as I said, communication is a two-way street. And so God, we can trust, does his part perfectly because God is perfect. In fact, he created the world with his word, right? He's been redeeming people to himself through his word. But what about us? We don't always hear too well. We're sinful. We make mistakes. Our side of the communication street falls a bit short. Our side has some flaws. So then does that ruin God's ability to communicate effectively? No. You know why? Because God helps there too. God's helping on both sides of the street. First, the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit helps open our eyes. It helps us understand God's word. So God sends someone to help with our side of the communication, but he actually does more than that because in addition, God's word itself is not just a normal book. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. It pierces us in joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, God's word isn't like our word. It pierces us, it goes deep, it convicts us. As we've been looking at, it's profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. You see, God both communicates effectively 
to us, but then he also helps us understand by his Holy Spirit, but also because his word is transformational. Now, one other point, maybe this is a little too rudimentary here, but why do we have the Bible? You ever think of that? Why do we have the Bible? You see, language is a gift from God, and God decided to use language, to use his word, to use this very book to reveal to us who he is. You see, the point of God's communication with us is revelation, to reveal to his people who he is and what he has done. God hasn't given us the Bible to, for obscurity, for confusion, for, for some secret code we have to figure out. That's kind of what the middle two verses of our passage are talking about, verses 12 and 13. The word God's commands are not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it down to us that we might hear it and do it. Neither are they beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. No, it's right here, Moses says. God's already brought it to you. He's already given it to us because he wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know what he's done. God's given us his word to reveal who he is. You see, understanding God's word doesn't require some impossible, miraculous ascent to heaven or an arduous journey across the sea. It's right here, right in front of us for us to understand and to obey. God communicates effectively. Psalm 119, 105 says, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows us the way. Later in verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. God has chosen to communicate with his people through his word and he does so effectively. Now the Second principle today is this. Number two, God's word is for everyone. You see, the clarity of scripture means that God's word is for all because God is for all. We talk about this a lot at Harmony, right? God's going to redeem a people for himself from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. We see this in Revelation 7, 9, where where Jesus one day will be worshiped by a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. We're talking about clarity, so let's practice. What does every nation, every tribe, every people, every language mean? Every. That means everyone. You see, God's word isn't for some special class of people or specially enlightened few, those who study a bunch or go to seminary. It is for every single person. It is plain and clear for all to understand. As I just said in Psalm 119, making wise the simple. When we think of everyone, that means everyone. You see, the word of God does not discriminate anyone from different cultural, national, or ethnic perspectives. It doesn't discriminate based on age or intellectual capacity. It's for everyone. Think again about the context of Deuteronomy. Moses is retelling this law to this next generation of Israel that's going to go into the promised land. And in the first verse of Deuteronomy sets it all up. It says this, says, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel. All Israel. That means all. Now that might not seem like much at first, but we know from the book of Numbers there's a census done and it includes thousands and thousands of people 
most would estimate over two million people. And Moses is retelling the law to this huge number of people, which I'm gonna go out on a really small limb and say that that included people of various ages, various intellectual capacities. And what does the Lord through Moses tell that huge group of people? He says, the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. In fact, in that great multitude, we know from God's word that as Israel left the promised land, there was other nations and other people groups that that came along with them. So it's safe to assume that they were there as well. God's word is for everyone. Now think of this, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, one of my favorite passages. It's actually part of this retelling. It's part of this second law that Moses is sharing. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. God's word is for everyone. For children, Moses says, with a clear purpose to raise children up in the Lord by teaching them God's word. The expectation here is that you can teach kids the word of God as they they grow up so that they can do it. They can love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind. I think this helps us understand the the beauty of the clarity of God's word. You see, children and adults certainly have different levels of cognitive ability, different capacities to understand things, but yet God's word is for everyone. The difference between adults and children provides, I think, a helpful insight into the clarity of God's word. As I mentioned earlier, theologian John Frame says this, he says, scripture is always clear enough for us to carry out our present responsibilities before God. And so the, the level of understanding that a, that a child might have as compared to an adult is relative to their general capacity to learn and to understand, yet God's word can be clear to, to each of them and to open their eyes to what their responsibility is before God. God's word is living and, and active It's clear for what we need, when we need it, to follow God, to love him with all our hearts, all our minds, and all our strength. This is the same for spiritual maturity. Whether whether you are a spiritual infant and this Christianity is a new thing for you, or, or maybe you're a spiritual adult, God's word is clear to what God has for us next as we seek to pursue him and live out our lives for him. You see, God's word is both deep and shallow. It has something for everyone who seeks God and desires to follow him. I love this quote from Gregory the Great, an early church leader from like 500 AD, and he puts it like this. Like a river, God's word is deep enough for an elephant to swim, but shallow enough for a lamb to find its footing. Wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, know that God has something for you in his word. Whether you're ready for a swim in the depths of God's unending wisdom or you're just merely beginning to tip your toes in the water to find a firm footing in the Lord, God's word has something for you.
God's word is for everyone. Now the final principle we're gonna look at this morning barely builds off of those first two. Number three, God's word requires a response. Clarity requires response. Our passage this morning is essentially Moses encouraging all of Israel. They have God's word. It's, it's near to them. They don't have to make some impossible journey to discover it, but they need to respond to it. They can't just sit on the sideline. They have it. It's near. It's in their mouth and it's their heart. So why? So that they can do it. Respond. Choose life or death, Moses goes on to say. And that implication is the exact same for us. God's word requires a response. It calls us to act on what God has revealed to us. This is why we try to have applications in sermons, right? Because God's word requires us to respond. It's not for us just to to read and, and learn something and tuck that away. No, it is for us to act and respond on. And you see, because God communicates effectively, because God's word is for everyone, because God has revealed himself through his word, clearly providing everything we need to know for salvation and faithful obedience to him. It doesn't just require a response, but we are responsible to respond. That's a tough one to take in sometimes, but the Bible makes it clear that everybody's responsible, that the heavens declare the glory of God, but even more so when we have the word, this is why we want to get the word to every tongue, tribe, people, and nation in their language because the reality is we are responsible to respond to God, to who he is, to what he has done, and praise God we can respond faithfully to God's word because it is clear. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute and his ministry. You see, Jesus believed God's word was clear. He taught in a way that it was obvious that people could understand God's word and thus respond to it. You see, Jesus actually expected those that were seeking God to to read and understand the word and then respond to it in faith and obedience. Throughout the gospels, throughout Jesus' life, we can read passages where he says things like this, haven't you read Have you never read in the scriptures or have you not read what God said to you? Jesus rebuked Pharisees and and teachers and all types of people for misunderstanding God's word. Jesus expected people to, to read the word, to understand what it meant and to respond. And Jesus actually expected a little bit more than that too. You see, Jesus expected people to hear and respond to his words to who he is, to respond to the good news of his, his life, his, his death, his eventual resurrection, his sacrifice for us. And that is still true for all of us right now. The gospel requires a response. I'm gonna sneak in a bonus point before we get to application. And it's really tied to all of these principles we've been discussing. And it's this Direct connection between God's word and God's presence. As our passage says, the word is very near you. The word is still very near to us. John 1.14 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Jesus is literally the word made flesh and Jesus comes near to us. You see, the clarity of God's word is connected to God's presence. Our passage this morning, all the way back in Deuteronomy, is pointing us to the new covenant. It's pointing us to Christ when it says that the word is very near to you. You see, the Lord, through Moses, calls his people to respond to his word by keeping his commandments, this huge list of things, but instead of describing this impossible task, this arduous journey, Moses really offers grace. He says, the word is near. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart, so that you can do it. Listen to the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31, 33, many, many years after Moses said those words, it tells us the same thing. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's word will dwell in our hearts because God will put it there. God's presence will be with his people so that we can do it. The word became flesh. Jesus has come. Emmanuel, God with us. And then you see, even as Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, then God sends his people a helper. The Holy Spirit who too indwells believers, seals our inheritance as sons and daughters of God, and the Holy Spirit then continues to help open our eyes to the clarity of God's word. Helps us to respond in faith and obedience and is present with us every day, right now in this room. God communicates effectively. God's word is for every single person in the world and it requires a response. And brothers and sisters, make no mistake, God's word is very near to you because God himself is near to you. It's a beautiful thing. I'm gonna close this morning with three very quick application points, really three encouragements. Number one, We need to study God's word. The clarity of God's word should give us confidence to study God's word. Studying God's word is not this fruitless effort, but instead we can have confidence that it's gonna bear fruit in our lives. Remember, God's clarity is connected to God's presence. When we spend time studying God's word, we're actually spending time with God himself. Now, not every scripture is gonna be immediately clear, as there certainly are difficult passages, but you see, as we grow in maturity, as God opens our eyes and transforms us more and more into his image, then more and more of the depths of God's word will become clear. Like that river, we're gonna tiptoe in, but then begin to swim in the depths of God's grace and wisdom and mercy. No matter where you are on your walk with God today, study his word. He will help you understand it. For those who seek to follow and pursue him, he'll help you understand the next step of faith and obedience in him. And he calls us to study with humility and prayer, but with confidence that God will work in your life. Study God's word. Number two, obey God's word. You knew I was going there. 
I know this might seem too simple, but make no mistake, the clarity of God's word is not just so we might understand something or get a question answered that we've been struggling with, but it is actually for us to respond to in faith and obedience. Now that obedience might just be thanksgiving and praise for what God has done, or it might be that next step of godly obedience as his word convicts, edifies, and encourages us to live godly lives. Seek to obey God's word. Let me make a side comment here. I think sometimes if we're honest when it comes to obeying God's word, you see, we like to spend that time studying God's word, reading it so that we can check the obedience box, like the actual obedience is to read God's word, not to obey God's word. You get the nuance there? We might even spend a bunch of time like, I'm going to study the most complicated, difficult passage. I'm going to spend all my time trying to unpack the complexities and dive deep into that deep, deep river. But then when it comes to obeying the simplest, clearest passages, it's really hard. So it's like, well, let's just keep studying. I'm going to keep checking my study obedience box. Here's what I mean. I think you can all probably individually think of something from God's word that you struggle to do, right? But let's just poke the bear this morning. I'm poking myself here. And this will tie to clarity. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God wants you to rejoice, to pray constantly throughout the day in all all circumstances. That's pretty clear. That's pretty hard, right? How are we doing at that? And I think sometimes, right, we want to jump to the like difficult circumstances. Like, man, life's really hard, so I need to remember to rejoice and remember that God's for me and everything that I'm going through is for my good and his glory. And we can work through that, but, but what about in the good circumstances? When something awesome happens in your life, do you take time to rejoice and say, thank you, Lord. I don't deserve these good circumstances, but by your grace. Now, maybe that one's too hard. Let's, let's get a little bit easier. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's pretty clear too. Maybe, maybe we're not to the point where we can rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances, so let's just try not to, to grumble. Or, or be disappointed or dispute over things. Maybe that's a better first step. Let's finish with one more. Why not? Maybe both of those are just like, you know what, I'm nowhere close. So let's go to James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another. So that, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. When we fall short, when we struggle When we sin, are you confessing those to other brothers and sisters in the Lord and praying for one another so that you may be healed? Those are some really, really clear, simple passages, but hard commands. So as we read and study God's word, let's pray, let's ask the Holy Spirit to not Have us just check the box that I read it, that I studied, but help us to seek to obey it. And make no mistake, you're not obeying it to earn anything, to merit your salvation, but we're seeking to obey it because we desire to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our might, and all our strength. 
Here's our final application point that will close out our time this morning. Number three, share God's word. Share God's word. You see, God's word is clear. God communicates effectively. His word is for everyone, and thus he calls everyone to respond. And how do they respond? By us sharing it. God calls us to share his word. And so I'm going to close out the message today in this application point by practicing what I just preached. I'm not going to explain this point. I'm just going to close by simply reading from Romans 10, 5 through 15 where Paul actually makes reference to the very passage in Deuteronomy we studied and connects it to Christ. If you would like, I'd encourage you, Romans chapter 10, 5 through 15, you can turn there. I'm gonna trust in the clarity of God's word to make this point. Romans 10, 5 through 15. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down or who will descend in the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, the gospel. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray.